I'm Arlen Hamilton, and I'm an investor. In 2015, I launched Backstage Capital, a venture capital fund, after experiencing food and housing insecurity for most of my life. I wanted to invest in companies led by founders who are women, people of color, and LGBTQ, just like me. I have invested in more than 150 companies since 2015 and growing. I started Your First Million to understand what it was like to make your first million dollars, get your first million fans or downloads, and to see if there was a common thread between us all. Join me as I talk to people from all walks of life about how they got where they are, what they learned on the way, and where they're going. And for those of you who are wondering, yes, I made my first million. <laughs> Let's talk about it. They slept on me, but now they won't. Because I got a million. Fresh out the mud, but I'm clean and so. Because I got a million. I got my first million. I got my first million. Hey, it's Arlen. I wanted to make sure you knew about my new Investing as a Catalyst course. It's for people who want to become investors or become better investors. Go to arlen.capital, A-R-L-A-N dot capital to learn more. Hello, Snigda. Hi, Arlen. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, but you know, the world has been a little bit terrible, but you know, we're all, we're all surviving, I guess. That is a very nice way of putting it. (laughs) That's a very, a little bit terrible. Yes, man. Um, well, Let's let's jump right in. First of all, uh, tell us a little bit about your company um, and, and and where you're based and, and things like that. Yeah. So I run a company called The Juggernaut. We're a media company focused on South Asian stories. So stories about people originally or currently in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Bhutan, sometimes, you know, Afghanistan and Burma are included, the Maldives. And it's a really interesting time because um, our first target de- demographic and market is the United States and South Asian Americans are the fastest growing kind of major sub demographic in the country. And for a long time, they haven't had their stories covered unless, you know, there is a tragic incident, et cetera. And, you know, we're kind of seeing that right now. I have to comment, um, you know, last week there were terrible shootings and they've been continuing. And last week at Indianapolis, there was a shooting that killed four Sikh Americans. Mm. And, you know, we have been busy covering that this weekend. So that's been really top of mind for me. And so um, when, you know, when we were talking to members of the community about what had happened recently, many of them commented and said, you know, we have pitched stories about our community to the media before, and they're really not interested in covering us because they don't view us, you know, as part of the story and they're American too. And I think that this year has been a really hard one this past year for so many communities um, and so many communities of color. Like, you know, we have to talk about BLM. We have to talk about the shootings last week. We have to talk about the current trial going on. And so, um, that's a little bit of flavor of, you know, what it means when we're running this company is like, how do we center stories of people that are often viewed as other in some way for some shape or for in some sh- way, shape or form. And they aren't. And what, what did you say the um, demographics are in the United States? 
Yes. So currently there are about 6 million South Asian Americans and, um, in from like 2011 to 2017, you know, our, our community probably grew from about, I believe like 3 million to like 6 million. Mm. Um, it's grown a ton, whereas the overall U S population has grown about, you know, 3% per year. And on top of that, I call it a tale of two communities. There's a subset of the community that has been known as the model minority myth. They've done really well. They're very successful. You probably see them around Silicon Valley. Um, they have three X of median income. And then there's several people within the community who, you know, um, Indian Americans are the second largest group of illegal immigrants into America. Mm. Many of them are, you know, uh, in sub communities that aren't doing as well and they get kind of grouped into these larger groups. And so how do we tell all of those stories and the variety and, and, and kind of the texture of everything people are going through? Yeah, I remember in 2015 when I wrote uh, my viral blog post, Dear White Venture Capitalist, um, I very earnestly um, and sincerely said to not treat Black and Latinx founders with pity. I said, treat them like you treat white and Asian founders. And immediately, obviously, a lot of most of it came from people saying, you know, reacting to the, the, the other stuff I said. But immediately I got a few emails from Asian Americans who said, wait a second. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about, but I don't group us with white people because we, that we have struggles here too. And, um, I remember the decision I made at the time was to keep that in. And I encouraged them to write the people who wrote me and said, please write. And I will, you know, link to you, uh, because, uh, it's true. I think there is this idea that, um, you know, something that people tell me is like, they get grouped into, uh, being just real IT, you know, but they're not going to get invited out to a beer. I remember this very distinctly, uh, an Asian man sitting next to me saying that. And uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's very true, obviously. So um, I appreciate you talking to me at a time like this when I know that you're, because at the top you, you said you're, you're, you're just okay. Mm. I appreciate you talking to me at this time. Um, I wonder if, and I don't want to be crass about it, but I wonder if because you have raised this being your first million, because you have raised more than a million, I believe, mm -hmm. is that something that stands out in your in your community? Um, is that something that is like um, lauded? Yeah, no, I love that question because when we announced our raise in October and you know, full disclosure backstage is one of our investors. Thank yes. you so much, Arlen and Christy, for being part of and believing in us and being part of our journey. Um, when we announced our raise in October, that article got shared and reshared among the South Asian community hundreds of thousands of times. Whoa. And I know because the PR people at Cision, which is this PR tracking company, yeah. out of their way to reach out to me. And they're like, did you know that this piece got you like unearned like uh, earned media of over like I think it was some ridiculous number, like $150,000 worth of earned media. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And that story got shared so much. And, you know, I have, I'm very lucky that I have several fellow founder friends of various backgrounds. And, you know, one of the phrases we said in private was you love to see it, but you don't love to help it. Mm -hmm. So I will say that mm -hmm. many of say my, again. say it again. You love to see it, but you don't love to help it. 
-hmm. which means that, and I will tell you, and you know, this, my biggest investor by value is a black man. Mm -hmm. His name is Charles Hudson of Precursor Ventures. Mm -hmm. And he believed in me when no one in even my own community believed in me. And, and that sometimes hurts. And so I will say that I know my community was really proud of it happening. And since then I've gotten so much help and so, so many messages. Like if you need anything, please let us know, let us know how you can help, how we can help. But during the process of building this, I, I was a bit surprised that, you know, many of my early investors, you know, weren't from the community. And this goes back to intersectionality. You know how you said, you know, hello, white investors, um, treat us like you treat white and Asian founders. Mm -hmm. There's some intersectionality here, right? Because we know that women, uh, when it comes to VC fundraising, get 2.6% of VC capital, but women of color get 0.0006%. Yeah. And a South Asian woman is actually a woman of color because when, when, in, when a South Asian man interviews me, who is a VC, he doesn't view me as a competent man who is his fellow brother. He views me as someone who might be less competent for yeah. who knows what reason. Yeah. So that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And it's, I mean, there's so much we could unpack right in that alone. Um, just because, I mean, being real, a lot of people ask me, well, why isn't this black person in your fund? Or why isn't this black celebrity that you know in your fund? And it is hard to to do that. And then it's, it's uh, obviously a hundred times harder to have a conversation with uh, white investors about this, but um, it's, it's interesting. And I love that Charles is in Charles. He's uh, incredibly savvy about this type of thing. So he likes to go where people, where he he's early, I mean, super early and he can be not just uh drop in the bucket, you know, really be impactful and having his name on it also helps uh, uh, close the round. And so Charles Hudson at Precursor, Precursor and Sydney at Precursor are people to look up if you're listening to this. So what did you end up raising? We ended up raising, I think at last count, it's now hard to keep track because after our article came out, I have to say many people from my community then started reaching out mm. right after our announcement was 2 million in seed in seed raised. I had a fantastic individual reach out to me and just write me a 250 K angel check. Yeah. No question asked. Yeah. So we ultimately ended up raising closer to 2.3, maybe even 2.4. Cause some checks have trickled in since then. Yeah. And, um, no, it was, it was definitely, I was, I was so proud of our team when that happened. And I was so proud of all of the investors who had joined us. Yeah. And it's, it's a great product. How do people sign up to it before we get, you know, go any further? How do people sign up right now as they're listening to this? Yes. You can sign up by going to www.thejuggernaut, J-U-G-G-E-R-N-A-U-T.com. Or you can just Google us. We're not the Marvel character. We are the publication and the media company. And we price very reasonably. An annual subscription is $52 a year, which means about a dollar a week. And to date, all of our subscription revenue has gone directly into the hands of journalists and illustrators and designers. And over 90% of our journalists and illustrators are people of color. Over 80% are women. And that was also part of our ethos when we built this company is because when you look at U.S. mainstream newsrooms, we know there is a representation problem. Uh, Pew reports that 77% of U.S. newsrooms are non-Hispanic white. 
we know that the country does not look like that. And so when we built, set out to build out our company, we clearly noticed that, you know, South Asians were not always the biggest part of newsrooms. And if we wanted to get our story to, stories told, we wanted to center those very journalists as well. And so um, that's who you're supporting when you pay for a subscription, because a lot of people ask, why are we charging money for this? Why can't we just do ads? It's so hard to build an ads business today when you know that the big monopolies are Facebook and Google. It's just so, so difficult. It's also far harder to earn money on it because many people don't think about this as founders, but um, Holly Lou, who's also a mentor of mine from Y Combinator. Yes, she talks and she's a mentor at Backstage and she's an investor in Backstage. She's incredible. And she's also an investor of us down you know, later. And she talks about different kinds of revenue. So people look up this article. She talks about different kinds of revenue. Subscription revenue is very different from ad revenue. Why? Ad revenue is often a B2B revenue model where let's say um, I go out to Coca-Cola and ask them to sponsor the juggernaut. They say they're going to pay us $100,000. We don't know when it's going to come in. We could have already served the Coca-Cola ad and there's no reliability. They're going to pay us the same amount next year. Mm -hmm. Very, very unstable. That's right. Subscription revenue is very different. It's usually customers are paying you upfront for a service that's going to come later and it's more predictable revenue. It's also something we call in business school, negative networking capital, which means that your customers, if you're growing can help fund your growth. Mm-hmm. That means all the incentives incentives are aligned. And I think that, like people, you know, who still say that, Hey, I don't want to pay for content or I don't want to pay for this. It's so important to support journalism. That's diverse. It's so, so important because that money is going into the hands of the people who need to be telling the stories. Yeah. You're talking less than $5 a month for, for a lot of blood, sweat, tears, but for the people who are uh, listening, who are investors or aspiring investors and uh, you know, this goes beyond impact. What is the business model? How do you, how do you crack that? If, if most of the capital is going into uh, paying out, like where, where do you, where do you find that inflection point of growth? Yes. And so that's the beauty of, um, you know, growth, which is we're technically already gross profitable. Mm. So when you think about it, that, which is amazing. So when you think about digital businesses, again, different type of revenue, as we scale and grow, we have some, you know, network effects in terms of our content, which means that, you know, the person who's the 10,000 subscriber to join has lots of articles to read and any kind of incremental revenue for that article is basically like hundred percent margins, gross margins. And so that's the beauty of a digital subscription business where you don't have a physical product, right? So our vision is, you know, as we continue growing, as we continue growing our subs, eventually we will be totally profitable. But right now, because many people don't know about us because we want to punch above our weight when it comes to our editorial, we, you know, pay very competitively and we are investing in marketing and engineering and a lot of those things. But I could totally foresee in, let's say, three to five years time where we reach a steady state where we don't need to plow back um, all this investor funding into all of those investments. And that's why we are raising VC funding. Otherwise, we'd just be bootstrapped. Yeah. We really believe it's important to invest in kind of the infrastructure around the business when it comes to engineering talent, when it comes to um, marketing to tell people we exist, um, when it comes to punching above our weight, when it comes to writers. That's kind of how we can afford journalists um, that the New York Times affords, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Did you say that, uh, or would you say that the majority of your subscribers are in the United States or is it uh, outside as well? It's a great question. So we haven't invested in any form of marketing outside the United States, really. So 85% of our subscribers are from the U.S. 
This is a stat that I love sharing just to show people that we do live in a more diverse world and a more connected world than we care to say. But 90% of our um, subscribers self-identify as South Asian descent, but 10% are not. And I think that's really, really important to underline. Yeah. I didn't build this business just for South Asians. I built this business for anyone who's curious about our culture, history, politics. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a subscriber and it's so, uh, it's so interesting and, and it's exactly, and it's so well done, exe- so well executed as well. No, thank you, Arlen, for saying that. And we just started with written journalism and our goal is to, how do we go beyond that too, for people who want to hear, watch, et cetera. Uh, that reminds me, there's a great uh, podcasting headliner in our portfolio named Frequency Machine. And they work with uh, other, they can work with you to, to help you build a, pod, a great podcast. You want me to introduce you? I'd love that. I will yeah. reach out. They're, they're awesome. Okay. Um, how did you get the juggernaut URL? Was that a, was that difficult to get or expensive to get? Ooh, I love that question too. So I'm an ex-spelling beat kid, which is definitely. <sighs> oh, we have to talk about that. <laughs> we have to talk about that. So I'm a huge nerd and we, I, I started by making a list of words in English that had South Asian roots. And um, some of them just wouldn't make sense of the publication name. Um, some of them just weren't available as URLs, as, um, you know, as domain names. And juggernaut was a word I was very conflicted about initially because of the Marvel character. I didn't want people to think we were the Marvel character. But in a way, it also kind of protected us because when we looked, there wasn't a publication called the juggernaut. Yeah. And I wanted the the because I felt that added the gravitas, like, you know, like the New Yorker or the New York mm-hmm. Times. Um, the Afro. Um, and so, you know, this, I wish this was a more exciting story, but I literally searched the juggernaut on namecheap.com. It was available and I bought it. <laughs> I can't believe that. That is so incredible. And Marvel hasn't written out, uh, written you to, to ask you to take it. Not yet. Reached no. out. <laughs> they haven't. Marvel, I hope you aren't listening and I hope yeah, you don't love- listen, Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's a great URL. It's very strong. It's very strong. Yeah. Let's talk about the spelling bee situation. Oh, yes. First sure. of all. <laughs> okay. So what ages were you? What was your age range when you did this? I was ages 11 to 14. So very much the technical ages when people did it, which is usually fifth through eighth grade. Wow. And did you do well? I was the New York City champion in 2011 and 2014. So then I went to national. So <laughs> do you know this? I don't know if she does actually. This is incredible. Christy is a partner at Backstage who brought in the juggernaut. I don't know if she's, she's never told me this, so I don't know if she knows it. So you're so, in New York City or New York State? New York City champion, yeah. That's and incredible. It has led to really strange stories that I joked to my mom that I peaked when I was like 11 and 14. Because you can Google me and find me in the New York Times.com. And yeah. It was on the Today Show and I was on like Regis and Kelly and it was a very fascinating time and I was on ESPN, but that's usually like the fun fact. Wait I a second. Up. Wait a second. How old are you? Right now I am. I'm right now for those who care to know, I am 31. Okay. I had to do the math really quickly. I'm like 2014. Two, what? Yeah. 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 It was 2001 and 2004. 2001 and 2004. Okay. I was reading it different in my head. Okay. 2004. And then what was your winning word in 2004? Oof. 
it's such a bad thing that humans are so loss averse because I remember the word I lost out on nationals. So in the nationals, I, my word was carnauba, a C A R N A U B A. It's a Brazilian wax you find in like candy, like Mike and Ike or that a car wax even. And this is where ignorance is bliss. Sometimes I asked for all the alternate pronunciations and they gave me four and that really confused the heck out of me. And I should have just stuck to the one. Is it, and is it on you? you today? Oh, no, it actually doesn't. Because I think I had a very, I'm thankful to my parents. I had a very healthy attitude towards um, a quote unquote accomplishment and et cetera. I was just so grateful to have made it to nationals Yeah, and, and meeting all my friends there, like who are still my friends to this day, mm-hmm. that I wasn't too bummed what, that I got out in round five versus round six or round four. I just was so thrilled to be there. Are you still like someone who has to spell everything in your head when you see challenging words or hear challenging words? (laughs) I think it's more that I've gone into this mode where, you know, I also have a very difficult name. So I've gone into the mode or even the juggernaut where I like find myself, as you saw me spelling everything for people. So I'll be like, my name is Nigda, S-N-I-G-D-H-A. Like, I don't know why I do that, but that is definitely a, a like a vestige of my time. <laughs> I just find that fascinating. I could probably talk to you about that for another hour. Uh, <laughs> Cause I would, uh, I think I'd do okay. I'd probably make it like to like, you know, third place or something I'd probably be all right but but beyond that <laughs> you should um or not you should we should like maybe we should do a, like a backstage fun spelling bee competition for like a charity and just make let's it do it, really fun. <laughs> on, it. on it I love it I love it let's do it <laughs> um so so going back to to your work that you do did you find like I mean you, you raised more than two million dollars we've already discussed how difficult that is to do did you find um, for people who are listening who relate to you that, that any specific thing was helpful? Um, I'm going to I'm hoping to hear that it's being authentic. But if it's not, you know, you can tell me that, too. Yeah, I, I'll tell you a little bit about that journey. So I think a couple of things that I took away from my fundraising process was, you know, first, like never give up. Second, you have more friends than you think you have. And third, just follow the numbers. And I'll kind of break that down a little bit. When we got out of YC, we, you know, we were a Y Combinator company. We graduated in March, 2019. We were by all definitions, not the hot company. And, you know, there's a joke in VC world where once you have revenue, like it's game over because people will like ask you much tougher questions and hold you hair bar. We had revenue. We were one of the few companies that had revenue. We had the inklings of product market fit and nobody loved us. I was like, how does nobody love us? We're doing so great. And during that time, it was so important that I believed in myself and that my early investors like Charles and Y Combinator and all the other angels who joined like the co-founder of Twitch, Kevin Lynn, they believed in us because frankly, that was a very hard time. That first eight months of the business was so hard. So my advice for fellow founders is when that happens, when you see the numbers and the numbers don't lie and all the investors are playing smoke and mirrors games with you, like keep building because you're onto something, they're not. And so I just kept building and kept building. And then 2020 during COVID, you know, we actually had a lot of tailwinds. We grew our business by nine X in 2020 and the numbers spoke for themselves yet again. So I would be sending out my monthly investor updates 
And the way my kind of second tranche of funding started is our existing investors each like tripled and quadrupled down. And they were like, well, you know what? You're doing really well. We want more of this. And so they kind of kickstarted my kind of second tranche of funding that ultimately became my total seed. And we filled over 50% of our, I was targeting another million and we filled over 50% of our round with our existing investors. And so talking to other new investors was just made far easier. And this goes back to, you know, you have more friends than you think you have. You know, Charles was so helpful in introducing me to even more investors to fill out the round because he also looks good, right? He's seeing a portfolio company that's doing really well. Our numbers, again, don't lie. And it gave me so much confidence to go out and be and be confident in our business and say, hey, you don't have to join our ride. I know that our business is doing well. I know we have product market fit. I have spoken to our customers. I know more about this than, you know, my business, frankly, than, you know, some of the investors who are asking me questions. So I think what helped me through it, and guess what? It's not stacked in your favor. It's sad to say, but especially for women of color, it's not stacked in your favor, but what you have in your favor are your friends. You have your own business, you have your own insights, and no one can take that away from you. I think that's, uh, that's really insightful. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you is going back to something you said earlier. You said that the reason you were you raised outside funding was a certain growth uh, model that you have. Um, I I kind of split down the middle. Uh, my advice to people is half bootstrap, half raise, and this is how. Can you can you drill down on that a little bit to explain to someone who's saying, I don't, you know, when when should I think about raising or what? you know, should I raise for this type of company, et cetera? What was your thought process around that? Because you could have, as you say, just bootstrapped it, based it on subscriptions and not had to go through that process at all. That's a great question. And I think some of it boils down to personal resources. And then it also boils down to kind of what we talked about is what type of business are you building? Because I had a sense by looking at other comparables ahead of me from the New York Times, like, public 10Ks in terms of how their digital business is going to the example of The Athletic, which is a sports digital subscription company, to even BET, which sold to 2.3, for $2.3 billion to Viacom in 2001, and it was primarily a subscription business. I had a sense for this kind of business I'm building, a media subscription business, how is it valued in the marketplace? And I also had a sense for, based on those kind of publicly available comparables and the spending levels they were undergoing, how much investment I needed to kind of get it to escape velocity. So I personally didn't have that kind of funding. <laughs> like I actually, am, I'm, I'm, I'm an immigrant. I was born in India. Um, my parents are quite normal people. None of them are in business. I'm probably the black sheep in my family. And so I didn't see a path forward to build the business in the way I want to build the business without raising some capital because I knew we could reach escape velocity. And the question I ask myself every round is, is the reason I can't do something because of money? And if the answer is yes, I will keep raising. And I know that's not always an easy black and white answer, but for now to this day, there are things I cannot do because of money. And so until that day, And when I feel that I, you know, the answer isn't money, but it's people or strategy or something else, that's the day I'll probably stop raising and think about exit strategy, whether it's, hey, we make it private, whether we go public, whether we get acquired by another company. It's also just a a day-to-day great way of thinking about it. When do we raise and when do we not? 
even in the in the meantime. That's fantastic. I think that's so so helpful. I hope many people stay to this part of it because that's really helpful. Uh, I really have loved talking to you and getting to know you a little bit more. Um, thanks for for being on the on the program, Arlen. Thank you so much for being you and starting basically a movement that makes people realize how important it is to put capital, you know, where we say we're going to put capital. So thank you for Backstage Capital. Really honored to be here. Thank you. Hey, it's Arlen. Thanks for listening to this episode. So I would love to keep up with you online. You can find me at Arlen was here on Instagram and on Twitter. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. I cannot wait to continue this conversation with you. Your First Million is produced by Anna Eichenauer, executive producer Arlen Hamilton. Associate producer, Chacho Valadez. Theme song is used by permission by the artist Tobey Nguigwe.